right, welcome into the Duck Territory podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is across the way. Hello, hello. Got an interesting show on hand today. Uh, we're going to discuss kind of what's next for Oregon football now that spring football is over. Um, there's still a lot to be done. Oregon's got some checklists they got to get done. The players have work that they have to accomplish. And right now, Oregon staff is out on the road recruiting, so we'll kind of go through what is next for Oregon football. Uh, there's also been some, some news uh, for Oregon basketball. We've seen a player transfer out of the program. Uh, I thought this was going to be a year that, at least based off of early reactions when the Sweet 16 run ended for the men, that this potentially was going to be a year that we might not see anyone leave. Uh, that, that has changed, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got some holes they need to fill. Some commits that they were hoping to land have not happened. Uh, what's next for Oregon? And if you're unfamiliar, that means five-star Cole Anthony, Cassius Stanley, who was almost a five-star as well. Both went other directions. What's next for Oregon uh, basketball? And then last but not least, I think Eric and I are pretty excited about this. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to give you... I want to preface this correctly. It's not the 10 best players on Oregon's football team after spring football, but the 10 players who had the best springs. So there's going to be some interesting positioning here. I'm waiting to make sure you uh, communicate exactly how I think it's being communicated to make sure my list is uh, representative of what my answer is going to be. It took me a while to figure out what we were doing when I was putting together my list. And we should mention, we have not seen each other's list, so this is going to be kind of a reveal independently. We're interested to see how close we are. Eric and I are, Mm -hmm. I I think you and I are are pretty level, even keeled with where we are in terms of our perspectives on this Oregon football team. So I'm curious to see how much differential we have uh we sometimes we tend to to land exactly the same oh it's not going to be exact and then other times I, which i think that this is going to be one where we are completely different we're on different ways how many long snappers do you have on your list uh zero you have a long snapper on yours <laughs> no. is that a tease no not a tease I, I would be the one to have a long snapper or a, or a walk on uh, backup hunter or somebody on my list uh so that's going to be what this show's about and before we get into uh, Oregon football. Let's also remind you guys to go to DuckTerritory.com, and if you're not if you're not a subscriber, a VIP subscriber, why not? Uh, it, if you are, thank you for your service. And if you aren't, uh, you can go and sign up today for one dollar, and that gets you 30 days of VIP membership for your first month. Uh, and then after that, the normal pricing kicks in. Or we've also slashed our our prices, and this isn't a promo. This is our regular price now. Uh, we've taken 30% off our annual subscription. You now pay $6.26 a month for your annual subscription. That's almost $3 off your annual sub, uh, what it used to be. And it's a, it's a pretty big hike down from what a month to month subscription is as well. So uh, I encourage you guys to, to go to duckterritory.com, take advantage of of this uh, new new pricing that we have offered, huge deal. Uh, and if you are a member and you're paying month to month, take advantage of the year. You can you can upgrade your account and get yourself uh, a lot of money coming back to you by saving uh, by switching to to an annual subscription. So uh, I highly encourage you guys at least give us a try. Try us for a dollar for thirty days. You won't you won't regret it. Uh, let's get now that we've gotten the business out of the order here. Let's get down to football. Mm-hmm. Spring football is over. Uh, we are recording this on Friday, April 26th, uh, just at just before noon. Um, typically, we do these on Tuesdays or Mondays, but we needed a, a couple days break 
team the last game, uh, spring game um, that we did. Oregon's game uh, was, was, I think, productive and yeah. informative. We learned a lot from spring. Now what? Uh, Mario Cristobal said that they don't do anything for a week. So that week is almost over. Uh, and then he said the culture sets in. And this is the way I interpreted it. This is, you know, the next six to eight weeks could be incredibly critical for Oregon's development. I will, I'll use that word, development, for, for 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are crucial months. And I think anybody that follows this program understands that, obviously, they don't begin full football workouts until August. But that doesn't mean they stop doing things. That doesn't mean they Correct. fully take a break. Football is a year-round sport, and it's training year-round, and then they will be working in the weight room. I'm sure they will be doing some individual stuff outside of the coaches as well at some point here, um, getting some work in. But, you know, we've seen now how much impact uh, Feld and, and his his group has, and I'm trying to remember strength all the training. strength training group, but just that group in, in general, how much impact they've had on the body types of these players. And I think you're going to see, again, this offseason be another really productive time for that. And I wouldn't be surprised at all when – we start seeing some of these guys in early August, maybe late July, that their bodies look very different. I think of a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, who 6'5", 245, looks really good, but you could tell watching him needs 10, 15 pounds more muscle. A guy like Patrick Herbert, who Cristobal said he came in at 220 because he lost a bunch of weight for basketball at Sheldon High School, is going to be at 240, 250. These are guys that have to put on probably 20, 30 pounds of muscle. So these are crucial months for especially some of these young guys getting their first opportunity in the weight room. Yeah, bigger and stronger. Cristobal's quote was, now the culture kicks in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he since he's arrived at Oregon, he has made it uh, paramount to his program that culture carries this thing. And when I say culture, he talks a lot about, you know, A, giving back to the former players, which he had a ton for the spring game. Uh, he also wants the program to be player-driven, so there's a leadership council and, you know, a bunch of veteran guys usually are on that group, uh, and they kind of run the ship, and then if something comes up, they, the leadership council, you know, hears it from the players. They then take it to the position coach or the coordinator or the head coach, and then you know decisions get laid down and you know, they, things, they figure things out. Uh, and Chris, so Cristobal is always about you know instilling a standard and raising the standard and elevating it, and then having the players <coughs> self kind of police themselves. And that's what he's talking about: is that for the next eight to nine, ten, twelve weeks, uh, this football team is going to be in the weight room. He said they're going to be doing explosion drills, agility drills, strength drills. Speed school. Speed school, yeah. <laughs> uh, getting bigger, faster, stronger. You know, we've heard a lot about the fourth quarter program, but I think this period also gets a lot of, from a discussion standpoint, just gets lost in the shuffle because, oh, fourth quarter programs here, spring football, summer workouts, there's still stuff going on for this team. And so it's going to be interesting to see what guys make huge gains or, you know, drop a lot of weight. If they need to drop weight, who drops weight, who packs on the pounds, who gets faster, who gets quicker. Uh, we'll start seeing that uh, translate sometime in, in late July, early August when, when yeah, fall camp starts. Somewhere in that range. And mm-hmm. then for from a recruiting perspective, oh, boy, this is a very important time for the staff for the next basically 30 days. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it was a very productive recruiting weekend in the spring yeah. game. You know, you talked about, oh, I think what, what was, I'm not sure what the final count was. It was over 50. I was going to say, I was going to say somewhere in the 50s, maybe even the 60s in terms of those that, that visited. Obviously, Oregon landed a few commitments kind of in the days before, you know, right around the spring game. But uh, there is still a lot to build in, in both 2020 and 2021, and, and you can guarantee that they will be taking the steps to do so. And uh, you look at the satellite camps that they're going to be taking part of. I think Kevin's yeah. done a pretty good job of kind of communicating 
where Oregon's going to be for some of these satellite camps this summer in California and some other spots. Um, and, and you just look at there's a lot of evaluation opportunities now because there are going to be some of these big-time camps coming up this summer as well. So, yeah, an opportunity to, to really, I think, build those connections. And, and also we should mention they're going to be hosting some kids, not yeah. not like right now. I'm not sure. If it's, is it a dead period currently? I think it is. I think so, yeah. yeah but, but, but at some point here in the next couple months, they'll also continue to host. So, yeah, a, a lot to it. And, and we should mention, I think... Well, it's an evaluation that. period, but, I mean, they're not going to host guys during the middle of the week because they're out on the road for sure. That, that would be stupid right. to, to waste an eval period to, you know, to host uh, guys. So usually some prospects may trickle in every once in a while during the week, but the whole staff won't be there. Right. Uh, the whole staff will return for weekends, um, but even then the visiting is going to be pretty wet from right. what it used to be. So, yeah, no, I, I think a, a critical time here, and, and I'm, I'm, I guess you look at the way this recruiting weekend played out. I think a lot of people have used to seeing a lot of commitments roll out, and we obviously heard a lot of positive things. Matt, are you, are you a little surprised just in terms of the lack of a commitment fallout from the um, recruiting weekend to an extent? Initially, I was, because I was ex- expecting it to be kind of like two to four, mm-hmm. and we got two mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> commitments that went public. Uh, but then I kind of came to the realization that the recruiting game has drastically changed. Um, and one of those changes has been nowadays a commitment is a production mm-hmm. and it's very rare or it's not as common now of a guy showing up on campus and being like, this is it. I want to commit. I'm done. Uh, you know, I, I had a feeling this was going to happen, uh, but I, I held off until I actually showed up and now I've seen the place I'm done. I'm going to announce it, uh, puts it on Twitter or, you know, Call somebody and tell somebody, and uh, that's be that. And we we know all the commitments nowadays. You know those guys that are on the fence going in, they get there, they reaffirm, hey, this is where I want to go. They tell the coaches, uh, they silent commit air quote, and then they go back home, and then they start getting the edits. They get the photo production, they get the video production. You know they they get the the jerseys and the hats and whatnot that they want to have for their reveal or for their ceremony or whatever you want to do. And, you know, commitments have almost turned now into a production. And so now that I've thought about it for a couple of days, it doesn't necessarily surprise me just because there are a couple of guys that we have heard that are, are very close. A couple four stars, a couple three stars, uh, guys that are, that are, you know, close to giving verbal commitments going into the weekend. And we've heard things went really well. There's a couple of guys, you know, I've logged a couple of crystal balls in for a couple of guys that were here over the weekend and, um, they just haven't popped yet. And so I, I, I said going in, though, that if if we took the visitor list, about the 50, 60 names that were here, and you then look in December of the guys that signed with Oregon, I, I said about 10 guys would, would be on that list in, in December. I still feel that way uh, today. And you know, I, I feel like there's going to be some guys that pop. It's just now it's just waiting for it to happen. I like that term production. I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> so-and-so is, is, is about to release their production. It's, it's, it's working on the production as opposed to a commitment. I mean, that's kind of what it is though. No, yeah, I think that's a great way of describing it. I mean, I look at all the guys and their verbal commitments and how they do them and it's legitimately productions. I mean, some of them are Basically movies. Micah Pittman was like a like a seven minute, nine minute movie. Yeah, yeah, documentary yeah. about his verbal commitment to Oregon. Um, yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of production that goes into these types of things now. And uh, you know, 
it's just a, one of the many changes in the recruiting world for Oregon or in across the country in general, and just in general. Social media has changed things significantly. People want to tell their stories and they know it's an opportunity. These commitments are for all these guys. They only make one. This is like yeah. the, the biggest social media moment they have, you know, going into college. So yeah, you understand the significance of it, but I, I agree the, the production I think is the proper term. Basketball has had some com- comings and goings as well. They've, They've had, you know, I think from an outsider's perspective, they've probably had what would be deemed a bad week or so, uh, because it started off on Monday with Cole Anthony, the five-star number two player in the country, giving a verbal commitment to North Carolina over Oregon, uh, Notre Dame, and Georgetown. And I want to say this, if you subscribe to DuckTerritory.com, you kind of were prepared. I, I hope I laid it out pretty clearly the last couple weeks that, you know, it would have been an utter shock if he went anywhere else besides North Carolina. Um, Oregon felt good about their chances. They, you know, Cole Anthony said that Oregon recruited him as hard as there was no school that recruited him harder and longer than Oregon did. You know, so Oregon certainly put in the work. There wasn't anything that they could have done differently that, that you know, outside of getting the commitment, uh, you know, going, in, you know, knowing you know, they put their best effort forward. It's just they didn't get it and get them. And Cole Anthony goes to North Carolina. I, I would hope, I would think a lot of people on our site kind of a, saw that coming. Yeah. Um, and then Cassius Stanley, a, lot, a day later, two, uh, days, later. two days later, yeah. committed to Duke. Uh, and that's another one where I hope our subscribers were under the impression that about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, Duke got involved. And typically when Duke gets involved, Duke gets who they want. And that's kind of what happened here. Uh you know, bad luck for Oregon because they again they put in a lot of time and a lot of effort to to get Cassius and he just he, he fell in love with Duke. Uh, his dad's I think an agent and so he kind of knows the profit margins that come with <laughs> going to Duke. When you're using profit margins talking about college basketball, you're <laughs> potentially running into some interesting territory. And I'm referencing <laughs> I know you're guys it. going pro and, and the success. Yes, yes. You know the hit rate of if you go to Duke, you're more often than not if you become a regular. You're going to get an NBA contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon's getting, you know, they're starting to put more and more guys into the NBA, but they're not Duke. Uh, and so that's another bad, you know, bad lump there. And then um, later on in the week, Victor Bailey announced, or didn't he never announced it, but Victor Bailey has put his name in the transfer portal. We've confirmed it. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I've, I, I can say I've, I've confirmed it with a family member of his. Um, you know, but at the same time, that this is a loss that I think, from a talent perspective, can be made up. Yeah. But from a culture standpoint, is a big hit. Yeah, it is. You know, and, and I think you look at Victor as somebody who was such an up and down season because beginning of conference play, he was really good. Third, probably their third best offensive player. He was averaging about twelve points a game. I think through the first four or five conference games, playing, starting, playing a ton of minutes, and then. Oregon went through. He, he had he had a really rough stretch shooting the basketball and kind of never recovered. And then Oregon kind of got things going. And unfortunately, he was kind of the odd man out. So I think a lot of people sort of saw this coming. Although at, at one point, I think there was confidence that he was going to stick around. But yeah, I think it, a tough loss, and I think puts some pressure on Oregon now to go go find a couple guys in this class. Obviously, someone like Cassius Stanley and Cole Anthony would have been good fits for position positionally and as well as in terms of kind of a talent um, replacement there. But, uh, you know, puts a little pressure on Oregon maybe now to go get some guys because that, that depth 
and the backcourt is takes a little bit of a hit. Yeah. Um, you've got Peyton Pritchard, who still hasn't, we should say, finalized anything, I don't think, in terms of his professional decision or not. I obviously think the expectation is he'll come back for his last year. Um, and, and then you've got Will Richardson. But that's kind of it right now in the backcourt that is returning. You'll add Chris Duarte. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the backcourt there, unfortunately, is now a little bit shallow. And, and you look around, and Matt's done a great job re- reporting who some of the options are, but there are going to be some grad transfers we're going to look at. Maybe some guys we're classifying now to kind of try to fill, um, some, some backcourt depth, because that is something that you, you don't want to be in a situation where you have three guards going into a season or four guards going into a season. One of them gets hurt, and now you're really, really thin. Yeah, this, Bailey's transfer, Essentially makes it a lock that Oregon has to go and find some kind of yes. a graduate transfer. Um, you know, I, I thought that you know if, if you know that's a that's a pure guard. Mm-hmm. Like say Correct. like TJ yeah. Holyfield's like a guy that they're looking at as a grad transfer. That's like a forward. He's like six foot eight. You know, kind of like a Paul White feeling. Kind yeah, of thing. kind of white. You know, Paul White type of you know impact player. Uh, from a player perspective of, you know, how he fits within Oregon's offense, can play five if they really want to go small, can play three if they want to go, you know, really big. Um, I, I thought they could maybe get away with not signing a grad transfer guard if they got like a holy field because they could allow, right. you know, Walker to, to maybe play some three and, you know, they could, you know, play holy field at three and Chris Duarte could play more of his minutes at a two instead of maybe playing you know, half or more of those at, at the three spot. Now that Victor Bailey is gone, um, you know, they only have one guy. They have Peyton Pritchard and Will Richardson. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have two guards. They need probably two more. I mean, really, it almost makes it to the point where they need to sign two grad transfers, maybe. Yeah, they need to find some, they need some, some guys. And one of those names is Javon Cumberland. He was on campus this past weekend. Uh, we have a visit report up. Uh, I posted in our recent Whispers in the Woods, kind of where things stand there. He did take a surprise visit uh, to Purdue. Oregon was unaware of that. And to me, uh, or you know, that tells you something. He's not as much of a lock as originally thought of. Oregon felt really, really good that he was going to commit shortly after the visit. He went to Purdue, didn't tell Oregon about that Purdue visit. Um, so that that could be something that you know is something to monitor. Maybe he's not as clear of a, of a lock to you know transfer and commit to Oregon as as it was. Um, they're they're looking at you know they're out right now on the road uh, evaluating high school talent. I would be surprised though, Eric, if this team, based on who's available left in 2019, um, I would be surprised if they went out and got a prep guy in the 2019 class. Unless a 2020 reclassifies. I mean, you just look through the rankings. There's really like, there's no, no one there's left. Nobody at the guard position that you would really want to pursue at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, everyone's already signed somewhere or has committed somewhere, um, or, or they're just guys that Oregon probably isn't on the radar right now. And it feels like a stretch to think they'll jump in on. So yeah, I think you're right. And the, and the possibility of someone reclassifying from 2020 to 2019 is, is a route we've seen Oregon go. We've seen Oregon. Um, recruit guys that are able to reclassify. Dylan Brooks, obviously, is kind of a, a famous example of a guy who's done that. Francis Sikoro did this last year, so there's an opportunity for that to happen. And don't count that out. But and look, there's a, there, there's a top fifty you, or a top thirty guard. You had the name on the side. I don't know if you want to release it. Yeah, we're not going to release the name, but there's a, there's a shooting guard that's a legit one and done prospect. Pro, you know, Could he's be. he's kind of like that fringe Chalidorsi. We'll, we'll declare as a freshman. 
could end up coming back for his sophomore year, more than likely. Uh, that's what he would do wherever he goes, and then go pro as a sophomore. Uh, he's probably, you know, right now the Chris, you know, he's probably leaning towards Oregon. And you know, if he moves into 2020, he instantly, in my mind, becomes the number one target for Oregon in the 2019 you know, recruiting class. But another guy that's also reclassifying, and it's kind of out there already, so we'll just drop his name. Uh, and follow like Dante. Um, he's a five star, but he's a center. Um, and while I think you always take as many big guys as you can get that are athletic and long and can block shots like he can. He's not as much of a need in 19 no. as a guard is going to be. Well, I mean, Oregon did just go four, six, nine guys in Peyton. <laughs> we'll see them go like three, six, nine guys and a seven foot guy this year, and it'll, it'll work out. And we should mention, I think we skipped over this though. Uh, Eric, Oregon did pick up a commitment from a, a, yes. a sit transfer in Eric Williams from Duquesne. Uh, I believe the day of the spring game, like the evening of the spring game. Like yeah, like nine, nine o'clock at night or something like that. Yeah, um, and, and that that's a guy who who will be a productive player for Oregon. I think you, you compared him to Elgin Cook a little bit uh, in, in terms of what he could do. Um, but, but he's a guy who will have to sit a year. So people looking at that transfer going, oh, what about this guy? The reason we're not talking about him for the 2019-2020 season is he is going to have to sit out a year, um, but but will be a player down the road. Yeah, I will say this. There was you know a lot of rumors somehow. It started circulating, I think, on another site, and then it came over to the territory. It made its way onto Twitter that he was a guy that was going to try and get a waiver. Uh, and I, I tracked it down to a story by the Kansas City Star because yeah. he was looking at Missouri, and he said in that interview that you know 50-50 is what he said, uh, that this waiver was going to get approved. So I asked him about that because, to my knowledge, from everything I'd heard prior to speaking to him about his visit and then his actual commitment, um, was that he was not a waiver candidate. And so I asked him about it, and he said, and I just kind of said that, you know, the reporter was you know kind of pushing me, you know, if I could or couldn't, so I just said it's 50-50, who knows. Uh, but he's like, I, 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 he said he highly doubts that, uh, so a waiver, there's a chance. <laughs> a waiver would get approved and, uh, he was pretty dead set, uh, on accepting the fact that he's gonna have to redshirt a year. But look, this is a big get. Yeah, it is. He averaged 14 and 8, 14 points, 8 rebounds, two years in a row at Duquesne, um, as a freshman and as a sophomore. And as a kind of a perimeter guy. Yeah, as a, He's a really hard rebounder. Really, he plays really hard defense. He's very long, very athletic. His, I think his perimeter prop game probably needs to improve the most. That's probably his weakest point right now. Um, but he scores a lot. He rebounds. He defends. He can play multiple positions. Uh, ESPN they rank all the transfers from a graduate transfer standpoint, and then another category they've also ranked every recruit that's available that's not a grad transfer. Um, so sit one is what they're called. Uh, and Eric Williams is a top 10 player in their rankings. I think it's hilarious that it's a sit one. It used to be those just called transfers. Yes. <laughs> it used to be the rules. Where those guys are just transfers. They're just they transfers. a different designation for them. But, I mean, so that, that, I mean, that's a guy that had a lot of Power 5 teams coming after him. Big, big get for the Ducks uh, with Eric Williams we should, as well. We should also mention there's a couple other sit one guys Oregon is. I'm not 100%, sure yeah. talking to those. But they're, 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 Oregon is definitely on the transfer market right now. Yeah, we've, 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 another guy we could talk about, because I put it out there on Twitter, is David Jenkins from South Dakota State. Um, he was their starting shooting guard. He's from Tacoma, Washington. He's like a six foot three, kind of combo-ish type player. He was here for the spring game as well. He averaged 19 points a game. Yeah, he can shoot the basketball at a very high level. I, I watched some film, if you will, which is basically just YouTube clips and some huddle stuff, and he's a very prolific jump shooter. And an interesting prospect, another guy who, if he were to... Peyton Pritchard would not be able to play with him, but yeah. if, if 
Pritchard left, I think you wrote this in a story, there would be an interesting spot for Jenkins to potentially step in and be kind of that lead guard in, in 2020. Yeah, he Jenkins and you you, you go uh, Will Richardson, David Jenkins Jr., Eric Williams, and Chris Duarte, and then whoever this, – this is just assuming David Jenkins comes to Oregon. Yeah, this is an assumption. Uh, and then whoever you want, whether that's Francis Okoro, if Kenny Wooten comes back, or – uh, Miles Norris at center, whoever, maybe you sign and follow Dante and he comes in. That four, that quartet though of Will Richardson, er, uh, Eric Williams, Chris Duarte, and David Jenkins, super athletic, very, very skilled, and all really big guards. And even though Jenkins is 6'3", he's like a big dude. That kind of reminds me a little bit about the Elite 8 team with Oregon. That was 15-16 yes. where Elgin Cook was kind of playing power forward or Brooks was playing power yeah. forward and those guys kind of rotate. I think... Again, Williams and Cook, I think you've made that comparison on the side. Yeah. I think that's a really good comparison if you go watch them. They're yeah. like similar players. Eric, you, you, you look at Chris, I, this is what I've been told from people out of Oregon is that, um, that are familiar with kind of the recruitments and, and not of these guys is that Eric Williams and Chris Duarte are being kind of paired together as Dylan Brooks, Elgin Cook-ish. Uh, two guys that are six foot seven, uh, can play basically the two to the three to the four. And allow you, you know, maybe even one of them plays the five if you want to go really small, really small. but plays, you know, basically positionless basketball and, and you're very versatile. And, you know, that I, I still to, to this day will say the 15, 16 elite eight team was more talented than the 16, 17 final four team just because they were so versatile. Um, and they, they could switch off guys and position, you know, they, Basically, anyone could guard anybody on defense, and anyone could play any position, essentially, uh, outside of Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher at the center spot. That question sounds like a good discussion question for the message board at some point. Yeah, I think Which we should do more down to. Anyway, let's move on to our top ten list. Yeah, let's let's get into this now. Um, pretty excited to go here. We're, we're, now, remember, this is a list that we're basing off of who had the best springs, not the best players. Again, not the best players on the team because the best player on the team is Justin oh, Herbert. Oh no, I misunderstood. My list is all Justin Herbert, Troy Dye. Uh-oh. I guess you could you could argue is it Troy Dye? Is it Justin Herbert? Is it Penny Uh You know that would be a list that we should, we should do later on this summer. Yes, um, and we will. And we will. This is the the best springs, and so I'll start off uh, at number ten. Uh, I had a guy that kind of surprised me that he solidified his position through spring football. Isaac Slade Matuatuya. I used to call him Isaac Slade. I call him ISM. ISM. As I have him on my list, but on a different spot. Okay, so I have Isaac Slade at number 10, inside linebacker. He's going to start opposite Troy Dye, uh, sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a guy, I, he's had two injuries the last two years. Uh, he had to redshirt his freshman year, and then last year as a redshirt freshman, uh, his, his season came to an end a little early. Um, I think he's poised to kind of be that next linebacker uh, for Oregon as a sophomore next season. Do you want me to say where I have him, or should we just go to nope. 10? Okay. Nope. I also have him on my list. He's a different spot. Number 10, I have Jawan Johnson. I, I think he was obviously only here for about nine practices, I think, yeah. of the spring, something like that. Um, but just a guy that came in and made contributions in both scrimmages, and, and I think Oregon at wide receiver clearly needed somebody to kind of fill in. I think there was a lot of expectations in terms of the body type he provides, and we saw that. We saw him catch... I think three touchdowns and two scrimmages around the goal, and I think the, the third one in the spring game was waved off because I said it was incomplete. I thought he caught it. I thought it should have a touchdown. I actually thought the one previous to that, he was out of bounds. So <laughs> either way, two touchdowns during two scrimmages is pretty impressive. And you saw 
uh, I think a level of maturity in, in terms of how he's operating and kind of that kind of locker room presence. I think he's a guy that kind of came in, wasn't expected to be here for the spring at all, actually. Yeah. We thought he was enrolling. He told me previously he was enrolling uh, during the summer, but came in, I think, made a positive first impression and somebody you're excited about going forward. Uh, I'm going to go with number nine here. I've got running back Cyrus Abibi Likio, and, and part of the reason I'm going with this is that last year he was fully known to be a goal line guy. It was basically his only responsibility. This spring we saw him uh, have some you know, opportunities in other areas in, in, of his game, and he, I think, looked like a willing blocker. He three catches for 25 yards in the spring game. He ran between the tackles pretty well in the spring game, also had some nice moments in the scrimmage. He's somebody that I think Oregon obviously has their top two running backs back in, in Verdell and Dye, but I think someone like Hibidi Likio had a really nice spring and, and kind of provided a little more confidence in terms of what uh, you see from this backfield. It's interesting because I also have both of those guys on, on my list. on my list, but not at this position. All right. Uh, my number nine guy is junior cornerback Thomas Graham Jr. Um, I I think watching him in, in the scrimmage, watching him in the in the scrim in the spring game, and then watching the practices that we saw him play, I think Thomas Graham is getting close to becoming breakout. You know, superstar mm-hmm. type cornerback. He he has grown tremendously from his freshman year to his sophomore year to now going into his junior year. I think he's positioned himself. It would surprise me if he went pro as a junior, um, but I think he's positioning himself now where he's going to be a four year starter at Oregon and he's going to have a chance to go down as you know statistically at least one of the best cornerbacks that we've seen ever at Oregon. Uh, and I I think he he took another step in his development this spring for Oregon uh, at cornerback. Number eight is another cornerback that I have on this team. Uh, this is a redshirt freshman, though, Verone McKinley III. Um, he was all over the place yep. in the scrimmage. He was all over the place in the spring game and seems to have really kind of locked himself into that nickelback um, position for Oregon uh, when when they go with three cornerbacks. Which and, is a lot, by the way. Which is, almost every down in yes. the spring game. Um, so I... I believe that McKinley is probably going to become the team's number three cornerback, and we're going to see a ton of him uh, this season as a a redshirt freshman. Um, And I thought going in, Mike Keel Wright was just going to just walk in and and take a position. Mm -hmm. Um, And Veron McKinley has certainly shown enough that he's going to be a name that, that people are going to get familiar with next season. Yeah, absolutely. I also have him on my list, and, and that nickel position is a re- going to be really interesting to see how that develops. Wright didn't really play try to play a lot of that this year. If Wright does play there, another guy who's on my list as well, how will that play out? It'll be an interesting position battle. For eight, for me, I have tight end Cam McCormick. Uh, interesting. Because you kind of wondered how he was going to respond right. from last year. Obviously, he put in a ton of work, was the top tight end on the rock. I think people sometimes forget that because he got injured in that first half of that first game. He was going to be the, he was an opportunity to have a breakout year. He was going to be the top tight end on that team. He gets hurt. Breland kind of steps in and fills in. I thought McCormick was really strong all spring. Breland was out. They kind of swapped roles here where one guy was healthy, one guy's out. Or one guy's, uh, yeah, one guy's healthy, one guy's out. And, and I thought McCormick did a really nice job of kind of cementing himself um, as either, you know, tight end A, 1A or 1B in terms of he's going to be someone that plays a lot. And, and he's put in all the work in the weight room. Big physical tight end. For me at number seven, I have Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, I had a hard time kind of understanding how to rank him because uh, he was so down on his performance in the spring game. <laughs> I was like, maybe maybe my eyes 
lied to me and he didn't play that well because the afterwards he was like, oh, it was too fast. I, I didn't feel like I played very well. I thought he was, I thought he was in both the spring game and the scrimmage, a, a really impressive force behind the line of scrimmage. It seemed like he was always around the football, uh, always, you know, making plays and, and always kind of in the backfield. So somebody that obviously Oregon fans have a ton of expectations for. I put him on here because I, I thought he was somebody that kind of made, you know, at least kind of lived up to some of the expectations, which are obviously very, very high for him in, in spring football. Cam McCormick was one I thought really long and hard about putting on here and I did not. Mm. Um, and so that's an interesting pick. I also have Thomas Graham for what it's worth. Okay. Uh, by one, and I 100% agree, he looked really good. Mm-hmm. And he, he seemed to have, you know, bounced back nicely from that injury that he suffered at the beginning of the year last year. My only question was, I don't think Braylon was really healthy all spring. Let, missed the last 10, probably, yeah. And so I was kind of curious. That's why I didn't put, you know, him on the list. But I kind of understand why he did it. Sure. Um, number seven for me, is Cyrus of Um You mentioned it. This is a guy that's done a lot from his versatility standpoint, has shown he's more than just a power back. He was really impressive in the spring game, uh, equally as impressive in the scrimmage. So yeah. he made the cut for me. And then my number six pick is Kayvon Thibodeau. So hey! we, were, we, were, we were pretty close hey! to where we put Kayvon. Um, he came in with a ton of hype, and I thought he lived up to that hype pretty tremendously. Um, I, I look at him and think, you know, he might not start day one because of a guy I have ahead of him, um, but you know he's he's done a lot in my eyes already as a freshman that just arrived, uh, and, and you can tell he's physically there to be an NFL player. Yeah, uh, or he will he will he, be. He has the tools. For yeah, sure. he has he has everything you want to be uh, an NFL defensive end. So uh, he makes my number six. My number six, Micah Pittman, another true freshman. I put him on here because he was, I think, probably the most impressive receiver in both scrimmages. Seven catches, which was, I think the next most was three in the spring game in terms of wide receivers. He had seven in that game uh, and also had a touchdown and some impressive plays in the scrimmage in Portland. Uh, a guy that literally a couple of days from arriving on campus was running with the first and second team. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody that obviously has a, a tremendous amount of talent. I believe he's the second or third highest rated receiver to ever sign with Oregon. I thought he showed very well, and I think he has um, a, a really good opportunity to be potentially like the team's go-to receiver by, by the end of the season. I just think you see the talent. He's somebody that feels very reliable, um, which is obviously a significant development given that there was some issues with drops last year and whether or not uh, you know some of the receivers were reliable. And I think he provided kind of a steadying presence all spring, which is impressive for, for a true freshman. Number six, or number, did you do six? I just did six. Yeah. So you're up for five. Number five? Number five, I went with Bryson Young, and this was a pick I would not have okay, made. This is one I forgot about. Yeah, this is a pick I would not have made up until the last week or so of spring because he was somebody that I think almost everybody's written him off. He's a highly rated recruit. He yeah. was a true freshman, hardly did much his last two years, was kind of in, in no man's land as an outside linebacker, defensive end. He said after the spring game that this is the most comfortable he's ever felt. Um, in an Oregon defense, and that kind of showed. And he was the top stud linebacker in the spring game, as well as the two practices leading up to it. Um, so I'm really kicking myself for not including not including it. Well, he's, there you go. Well, now, now you have something to feel better. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think somebody that, um, again, qu- kind of quietly, and in part because we didn't really get to see the uh, defense run, it's it's too deep for about the middle of, the, of spring practice for a couple weeks there. Somebody that I think obviously has found a really good fit at that stud linebacker position. He's six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Kind of fits in really well there. So that's somebody that I think 
honestly, that might, that's probably the biggest surprise of Spring was that he's somebody that I think most people just kind of completely written off. Totally written off, and now all of a sudden it looks like going out of, as we exit Spring now, he has a really good chance to start next year. Uh, number five for me was DJ Johnson. Um, because there was a ton of hype about this guy. I mean, Mario, first of all, was oozing about him when he signed with Oregon, I think in February, um, before last season. Right. Um, and then we heard a ton about him during the season as a, as a transfer that had the red shirt and he became eligible for the bowl game. You know, they played him, which is pretty wild and, uh, you know, he's able to preserve his year and whatnot. But, um, it was, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hype about DJ. And I remember watching the scrimmage up in Portland at Hillsboro and he dominated. Oregon had, Oregon had no answer for him off the edge, uh, Oregon's offensive line. And he did pretty much the same thing, I thought, in the spring game. Um, so I, I think DJ Johnson is, is number five for me. And you pair him with Kayvon Thibodeau, they've got two tremendous guys coming off the edge. I, I think that's the thing that stands out. I don't have DJ here because I kind of also forgot him. So Bryson Young, DJ Johnson at five is kind of a, a cumulative pick. Yes. We'll say it's a, com- a combined pick. But with Young, with Johnson, with, with Kayvon, with uh, Lamar Winston, who mm-hmm. is kind of lost in the shuffle in some way, and Adrian Jackson, it's a bunch of dudes coming yeah. off the edge. And I think a lot of people were concerned losing Justin Hollins and Jalen Jokes. I think Oregon's got some guys. Number four, uh, I have Justin Herbert. This is where Herbert, wow. where Herbert falls in line for me. Um, I did not have Herbert on my list. You did not have Herbert on your list. I did not. Uh, I, I put Herbert on the list, um, and it's more so what he's maybe doing behind the scenes. And this is me trusting what other players and what other coaches have told me and yeah. it not being just, um, you know, corporate message or, you know, uh, and a lot of people have said he has elevated himself. Um, one of the senior offensive linemen, I asked him, you know, the last week of spring ball, what's impressed you the most of spring football so far? And he said the play and the development of Justin Herbert. And that person said that he's become much more vocal. He's a hundred percent embraced the role that comes with being a quarterback. Whether you like it or not, you're the leader. You're the face of the team, and everyone looks to you on both sides of the ball. And he's that these people have told me that he's going after defensive players for not practicing hard. He's going after offensive players for not practicing hard. He's going after DBs and and defensive players for not making plays that they should make. If he makes a mistake and they have an opportunity to pick it and they don't, he's going after them, holding people accountable. And it sounds like Herbert's taking that. That step that everyone, it's so stupid to say, but everyone was like, <laughs> he needs to become more vocal. He needs to become more of a leader, no, more of a command of the, of the team. Well, Taggart, that was his whole thing out of yeah. the spring in 2017 was Justin Herbert has to be a better leader. I mean, that's how, that, that's how you know you're legit. Like, when, when you know that I'm a badass, I'm, I'm a very, very good football player. When everyone's like, he needs to be doing more off the field stuff, <laughs> like being more more of a leader. Like that's when you know my game's tight. I just need to you know shore up a little bit of other stuff. And part of it's maturity as well, yeah, I'm sure. sure. Uh, so that's where Herbert co- comes in for me at number four. At number four for me, I have Verone McKinley, another name you had on there. Um, I thought, like you said earlier, um, I kind of I don't say written him off. But I didn't know what his role was going to be. It was kind of unclear how involved the nickel was going to be in this right. defense and. You look again. If you look at the way they played in the spring game in the scrimmage, it, the base defense was basically a three-three-five with a nickel corner, um, along with obviously the traditional two corners and two safeties. McKinley plays is going to play a, a nickel back is going to play a ton, and McKinley basically from start of spring until end 
was that guy. Is he a little slight of build for the position? Probably. He's about, I think, 5'9", 190 pounds, similar in size, a little bit to Ugo Amadi, probably a little bit more slight, but somebody that I think you're going to you're gonna have to know this guy's name. He redshirted last year. I think a lot of people weren't sure what his fit was. I didn't know what his fit was. I remember I wrote a story um, in the spring, kind of right before spring started, kind of asking, well, what's his fit going to be? What, you know, what is his role going to be? Became very clear very early on that that he was going to be their top nickel guy. So that's that's four for me. For at number three, another cornerback, Mikhail Wright, and I'm sure he's also still yeah. to come on your list. But uh, this is somebody that obviously the expectations were very high for, and I, I think he delivered, and probably more so than I expected. He was for me probably the MVP of the spring game. Uh, you know, broke up three passes. I, I believe two of them would have been touchdown passes. Yeah. He had an interception that was basically a walk-off interception to end the spring game. And I just put it together in my head that he and Kayvon Thibodeau both had uh, walk-off interceptions to finish the scrimmage because Kayvon had one in, in Portland. That was kind of a cool little thing I hadn't thought about. But right, right, obviously somebody that is very, very talented and, and proved it time and time again when the bright lights were on. So a name to, to be aware of. And, and Thomas Graham said it earlier this spring to both you and I that he, he believes that Mikhail Wright will be a uh, freshman All-American this yeah. year. So... A, a lot, a guy to certainly keep an eye on, and I think someone that played uh, really, really well all spring. I cheated for no, by number three. Oh boy. I picked two guys. That's not fair. <laughs> I only have one guy for each number. What are you doing? And my reasoning is this: Is one of them Bryson Young? If you add no, him to your list, I'm not. Uh, Jawan Johnson, Micah Pittman, uh-huh. okay. because both guys showed up late, and so I'm combining you know their second halves into one. So you have 11 people on your list. So I have 11 people on my list. It's not a 10 list. It's 11 It's, it's 11 list. people. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just think the duo is what's, yeah. is what's been surprising. You had both guys on your list. I did. And it, it's more of a technicality. Like, though, neither guy was here for the full part of spring ball, and that's why I put both of them together. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that these two guys are going to be starting at quarter, at receiver um, at, some at some point, point this, exactly. this season. Uh, they showed a ton. Micah Pittman, um, Jovan Bootnight, Oregon's receivers coach, he said Pittman's got the best hands of the team. And, you know, to come in and say that after eight or nine practices, pretty damn impressive. Uh, number two, you were right. I have Mike Taylor right. Uh, this is a guy, that, like you said, Thomas Graham said he's going to be uh, a potential All-American uh, as a freshman. And I don't know where he's going to fit. He he could take a, a spot that goes to Diomede Lenore or Thomas Graham. He could take Veron McKinley's spot as well. He could be the fourth cornerback that plays. He's going to be a dude, and he's going to be very, very good for Oregon. My uh, my number one pick, uh, and I'm assuming we agree here. Well, I haven't done my number two. Oh, you haven't done your number two? Let me do my number two really Yes, quick. do your number two. Was was your number nine, I believe. Okay. I have Isaac Slade uh, I, at number two. Isaac Slade for me was ten, but yeah, close. Ten. Okay. I knew you had him at the bottom. I had him near the top of my list because I, I respect the play of linebackers and appreciate them, unlike some people who didn't even have Bryson Young. Oh. Bryson Young on the list. Shots fired. Yeah, yeah, I am at, at, at ten. I have them both in the top five. Just saying, if, if, if any linebackers are listening to this, realize who appreciates you. Uh, <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, you came into spring and, and it was Troy Dye is obviously one of your starting inside linebackers. Yeah. Everybody knew that. The other spot felt fairly open, and I thought it was clear again, similar to Roman Kinley, pretty much from day one, who was going to be that guy, and it was Isaac Slade, and he basically held. That spot all spring, and you exit spring, and I think it's pretty clear he is going to be your starting inside linebacker next to Troy Dye. So uh, he's a redshirt sophomore. He's going to end up potentially have three years of full-time starting experience, somebody to kind of keep an eye on and be aware of because he could be a really good one for Oregon down the line. You're number one? Same as your number one, I believe. Tyler Shuck? Yes. Yep. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty – well, obviously it's an easy pick because we both made it. Yeah. 
or we're just so smart. <laughs> I'd like to go with that idea. Getting the same conclusion could be really, <laughs> really smart. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought that spring game, I mean, like, I, I would have to go back probably to Marcus Mariota's spring game. I'm not comparing him. I'm not saying sure. he's going to be Marcus Mariota, but to the last time we had a quarterback who kind of burst onto the scene with, with that impressive of, of, of kind of a performance. That first half, he was awesome. He was 14 for 18. He had like 180 yards, something like that. Uh, second half wasn't quite as good, but I thought you saw all the raw to- tools from him. Uh, he can throw it on the move. He's got a live arm. He's extremely accurate. Uh, it seemed like he was processing what was going on in the field pretty quickly. So somebody I think you have to be really excited about, especially because of the position, which has had, you know, let's be frank, kind of a lackluster yeah. group of backups for, for you know, the last decade It's or been so. unstable. It has been. been very unstable. I think he provides a really nice kind of steadying force there. Now if knock on wood, Justin Herbert has something come up and he's unable to play, at least you feel like you have someone in Tyler Shuck. Again, it's just a spring game, but yeah. we're also in the scrimmage. But you have somebody that you feel like we've seen him do some stuff that are positive, and we feel a little bit better about the situation. So I, I think he had a huge spring, and somebody Oregon fans should be very excited about. Yeah, I look at I looked at him, and oftentimes fans, media, we we always make the mistake of seeing a spring game and instantly thinking that positive performance or that negative performance is indicative of what the other fourteen practices were like. Um, but we we got to watch one whole scrimmage, which was up in Portland, and show out-dueled Herbert in that one. I agree. Or Shuck did show. Shuck out-dueled Herbert in that one. Um, we saw every single practice, I think, but two uh, other ones. Um, two or three. We were, able to, we were able to walk in and watch, and, you know, Shuck was throwing dimes. He was rifling things. He looked good from when we were able to be in there and watch. Uh, and in the spring game, he that was kind of like a validation of what we'd heard, what we'd seen, you know, leading up to that. And, like, yeah, I agree. It's just a spring game. We've seen guys come in before the last year. Daywood Davis, mm-hmm. who, you know, had, what, two touchdowns and great had over 100 yards receiving, and now he's playing defensive back um, for Oregon uh, because he can't get on the field at the receiver position. And so, you know, you temper things a little bit there, but I'm with you. I think this position now, for the first time in, since – Probably Marcus Mariota as a sophomore and Brian Bennett as uh, a junior. Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon felt positive about where they were uh, in the depth chart at the quarterback position. Maybe Costa. Um, I guess Costa came after or came before Marcus yeah, Mariota. There really hasn't been a situation I don't think quite like this since Bennett and Mariota where you feel like the second guy is really, really capable. And, and again, you don't want to totally slide everybody else. Right. But I think that if you honestly kind of assess the position, it hasn't been this good in, in five years. Probably. Yeah, and I, I, I got my years wrong. It was when Marcus was a freshman exactly. and Bennett was a sophomore because sure. then he left to go to Louisiana something. Monroe, I think. Yeah. Um, that's going to do it for our list. If you want to see the full list, uh, I'll put it up on the site as well, um, on duckterritory.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Next week, I think we're going to do another one of these kind of you know list breakdowns. We haven't quite figured it out if it's going to be the most important recruit, uh, you know, five or ten most important recruits. Why don't football? we have people tell us what they want us to talk about? We can, we'll do another list. Give us some, give us some suggestions, and we'll, sure. and we'll consider them. Sure. Uh, so for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Frame, thanks for listening to the Duck Territory podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.